The richer you get, the harder it is to manage your estate. There's lots of moving parts like portfolio diversity, tax mitigation, asset protection, and estate planning. That's why the ultra wealthy use family offices, and that's where Valerity Wealth comes in for you. Run by a former sovereign wealth fund manager, Valerity Wealth brings institutional level expertise to the high paid professional. Let Valerity quarterback your finances. Book your free consultation at ValerityWealth.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Wanted to start out today by reminding you that there is a website called wealthformula.com in which there are uh, a variety of resources for you to uh, check out uh, that go beyond the scope of Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, in addition to those resources, it is also the place where you would sign up for Investor Club if you are a, an accredited investor and would like to get off the sidelines and start uh, potentially looking at some private placement deal flow. In addition, it is the place where you can also, uh, well, I should say that there is another group called Wealth Formula Network uh, that you can also join. Wealth Formula Network starts off with a course with some very, very well-known, high-profile, smart uh, members of my team like Tom Wilwright, uh, Kenny McElroy. You've got um, a number of other people in there with expertise in a variety of areas. And then once you uh, get the baseline down, you get to participate in our personal private network called Wealth Formula Network. It's a Facebook group. There's a portal. Uh, there is bi-weekly Zoom video calls. It's like a little community, online community, offline too because of the Zoom video. So we get to see each other as well. Uh, anyway, check it out, wealthformularoadmap.com. If you're the type of person who loves this stuff and your neighbors or your uh, significant other do not, it's a great place to come and get some uh, time to nerd out on personal finance issues, investing, asset protection, estate planning, you name it, the usual stuff. So wealthformularoadmap.com. Uh, also wanted to remind you that there's an event coming up. Uh, it's our next Wealth Formula meetup, September 27th and 28th in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we are calling it Wealth 2.0 for reasons that you will figure out soon enough. Uh, check that out at wealthformulaevents.com. Space is really limited. I think we're capped at about 120 people. So uh, check that out uh, as soon as possible and um, sign up and hopefully we'll see you there. The first event was a huge success. Um, there is, of course, these you know lectures and the tours and everything. But what really got people super excited was just getting to meet each other. The Wealth Formula Nation is a nation of incredibly talented, uh, diverse people um, with uh, significant skill sets behind them. They may not all be, you know, they're all in different places when it comes to investing, but a lot of smart people, you know, um, business people, uh, you got uh, a lot of doctors and dentists, of course, but people from who are all successful in one way or another. They all come together and, and it's a good time. Check that out again at wealthformulaevents.com. Now, uh, as far as today, I did mention um, uh, recently that, uh, well, I did mention that we have this thing called Wealth Formula Network, and we have these calls, they're sort of video Zoom calls, and we talk about 
uh, lots of stuff. Their investments. We talk about specific stuff, uh, specific operators, etc. And uh, we started talking about one the other day on the phone, and um, it got you know uh, we got into some detail, and um, you know there was some people who really liked the idea of it, and I started playing devil's advocate and poking uh, poking holes uh, in it that I thought, not to say that I'm right, I'm just saying, I just wanted to point out that, uh, you know, there's different ways to look at things. Um, uh, and, you know, everybody kind of comes from their own background, because at the end of the day, the truth is the best way to look at any deal uh, and, you know, figure out whether it's good or not is by uh, ultimately through agent experience. I mean, that's how you get good at deal hunting. The problem is that, you know, age and experience are hard to teach. Uh, and the, you know, age doesn't necessarily mean experience. Experience doesn't necessarily mean age. Um, but you know, I mean, they, sometimes they go hand in hand. So when I did my first facelift, for example, and this is of course not investing, but there's a parallel there. I mean, I, I thought I was good, you know, um, but, and then I did, you know, I did several hundred and after looking after about 500 of them, I, could look back and say, yeah, you know, I was I was okay, but I definitely was not a master by any results. Um, when you're young and you're full of energy and you're sort of a young Turk plowing ahead, uh, you look at guys a few years older than you and you wonder why they're so cautious. I mean, what is up with them? Why are they so scared of everything, right? Um, and then one day you learn the hard way because you make your own mistakes and it's your own mistake uh, that matters, right? If it's a mistake that matters, it's going to stick forever. That's just the way it works, right? I mean, if you, uh, your brain is hardwired to learn from making mistakes, meaning the best way to learn, um, you know, like when you're studying for a, some kind of examination is ultimately to take questions and get them wrong, and then you won't get them wrong again because you'll have this negative impact emblazoned on your head and you won't make the same mistake again. Now, the good news is that while mistakes are uh, critical to learning, they don't always have to be your mistakes, you see. You know, that's what all mentorship and coaching and all that kind of business is for. But in order for that to be successful, you have to be humble and you have to be receptive, which a lot of young Turks are not, which I was probably that way too. It's hard to hard to teach someone who thinks they know it all, you know. So let me give you a few of those investing pearls that have come along with some of my graying hair, or uh, maybe they've been the cause of them. I'm not sure. It's a chicken or the egg thing. But here, number one, um, and again, it's not number one. It's just a thought, right? It's one of my thoughts. It's my first thought. When it comes to investing, it's not just about the numbers. We, we talk about that all the time. Um, but we also simplify things when we say what it's really about is investing with people who you know, like, and trust. Well, of course, you know, I truly believe that is a, a requirement, right? It is a requirement. You have to know, like, and trust. You got to get to know a group before you just let them uh, run with your money or, you know, try to figure it out. But the problem is that I don't know about you, but I know, like, and trust a lot of people with whom I would never entrust my money. And it's not because they're dishonest people. It's just because, well, listen, uh, you trust, you, you know, like, and trust your mother, your grandmother. I mean, would you necessarily have them invest all your money? Not me. I mean, I love my mom. My mom's not really a money person. Uh, look, for people who you know, like, and trust, uh, 
And uh, at that point, what you can do then is what you really need to do is judge their competency. And the best way to do that, frankly, is to look at a track record, right? Uh, a track record is a report card. It, it really shows what somebody's able to do. Um, so what I would strongly recommend is not to become part of somebody's resume building exercise or someone's multi-million dollar lesson, if possible. You hear it all the time, right? Tell us about you know the things that went wrong to uh, to get where you are today, to become as smart as you did. And then, oh yeah, there was this lesson and this is a problem. And then, boy, did I learn something. It was expensive, but I learned something. You don't want to be part of that lesson, all right? So look for people you know, like, and trust. Then look at the track record. Then look at the numbers. That's the order. Okay, the second idea I had, avoid this type of investment, which I call good from far, but far from good. Okay, that is the that is the kind of investment where it just looks good uh, at first sight, and it's usually the ones who get in trouble with this are people who are new to alternative investment uh, um, investment type of analysis. Now, uh, the reason for this is that you know every species has some kind of physical attribute that makes it you know, more attractive. It makes it more likely to reproduce. Now think of a peacock, right? Colorful, patterned plumage fanned out for the display purposes to attract a mate. Uh, investments in some regards are kind of like that, right? I mean, you have an operator sometimes is trying to make it look good and make it so that you want to, you know, invest in that particular offering. And, and therefore it is sort of a mating ritual, right? Uh, operators have these, uh, uh, they know what those buttons are that they got to push on the investor to make them seem irresistible, okay? And you know what the biggest one is? I hate to say it because this is the one that everybody's so excited about. Cash on cash, okay? Uh, it is just crazy how people are just fixated in this notion of cash on cash. I get it, right? This instant gratification. But let me ask you this. Would you rather get 25% cash on cash or 7% cash on cash? Well, it's not that easy, right? I mean, what if the 25% cash on cash investment depreciated down to zero in just four years? Uh, and then what would your annualized return be there? Oh, yes. Mm, no return. None. You just got your money back. Well, and then what about the 7% cash on cash? What if that one actually increased in value by 100%? Listen, all investment performers have to be considered holistically. As investors, we should be looking at how much money we make from our investments rather than simply being content at getting our own money back from a deal. And that is typically what you see when you see very high uh, cash on cash. I would suggest looking at investments in terms of annualized returns. Or if you want to be a little bit more sophisticated, you can try to figure out the internal rate of return or IRR, which takes into consideration the time value of money. But frankly, annualized return, most of the time, I'm fine with annualized return. I don't need to be too fancy. Now, in the process of this calculation, you're going to need something that is going to be very revealing. It is going to be uh, some idea of how much the asset will be worth upon exit. Now, what if during the evaluation of this, you realize that there is no exit, right? Or that the exit is 
down to zero. Well, anyway, listen, it's tougher to get a decent return on stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, and that, that, by the way, is one of my rules is, is as a general rule, stay away from, uh, assets that depreciate down to nothing because, uh, you know, it's nice to have things that are going to go up in value, not go down, uh, or down to zero in value. So, uh, so those types of investments with, that do depreciate down to zero at some point usually make up for it by having, you know, sexy high cash on cash numbers up front. Okay, here's another one. So risk. Risk should be factored into your expected return. So a lot of real estate um, investors, uh, you know, they're used to seeing more I don't know if these are modest or not, right? You may see like 8 to 10% cash on cash or 18 to 20% annualized return that takes into account some sort of exit. And those are good numbers for real estate investors, right? After all, we typically deal with tried and true, um, particularly with multifamily real estate. Like that's what I'm talking about here specifically. So why do I say it's kind of tried and true? Well, if an apartment building's been around since 1980 in a nice market, that's essentially a highly sustainable business that's been around for 40 years. And so you're going to buy something and people are going to continue living there probably, right? So the risk is lower. The risk of a business, on the other hand, is significantly uh, higher. Um, and um, the, the risk of a business, um, well, let's take that back. I'm saying that the apartment building is a sort of business, but it's a very low risk business. Now, the risk of most businesses is a lot higher, particularly startups, right? Now, why is that? It's because the risk level, you're comparing a an asset that's been around since the who known 80s or 90s or whatever, however old it is, that something that already exists that people already use, you're comparing that to a startup where the business really lives in the imagination of the entrepreneur, and that's it. So real estate investors really get messed up on this one, and uh, and it's just because they don't really have a sense of what kind of returns they should be getting on stuff like that. Established real estate, again, is pretty low risk in competent hands, and that's why we're happy getting 8 to 10% or 18, per, 18 to 20% IRR. Those numbers are great for real estate, but the level of risk uh, for a small startup is significantly higher. So let's talk a little bit more about what kind of returns you might expect. If you buy a small business from a mom and pop, you're uh, you're probably going to pay about two to three times profit, right? And what that means is that if you buy something, you should be getting uh, 30 to 50% cash on cash on that business. And I'm talking about cap rates here, right? So I'm not talking about with leverage. So uh, that is really, really high right? That's really high compared to what you're doing in real estate. You're not going to get, uh, you're not going to buy real estate for two or three times profit. I mean, imagine, imagine that that would be like, you know, worse than, or I mean that, that price would be better than any D class property that you buy. So again, why is it so much higher than, than real estate? Uh, why is the business risk? Now I see people advertising in, um, for various startups, uh, with returns projected at eight to 10%. Now, based on what I just said, does that make sense to you? Well, maybe it does to you, but not to me. I'll tell you that. Higher risk should mean higher reward. So make sure you don't compare your rock-solid multifamily real estate 
to the sparkle in an entrepreneur's eye because it's not the same thing. There may be value in the startup, but make sure your return is priced in for the risk that you're actually taking. Okay, uh, here's another one. And this goes, these are all sort of related in a way. But the next one is that boring is good. I've said this before. The vast majority of my money goes into boring stuff. You know, multifamily real estate, wealth formula banking, you know, why? Well, because they're relatively boring. I like multifamily real estate because people have to live somewhere. I like other classes of real estate too, but I really like sticking to the whole roof over your head paradigm. And I really feel comfortable with that, probably because I grew up with that too. I like wealth formula banking because of its track record dating back to before the Civil War and the ability to use mass, velocity, and leverage, which I talk about all the time, to amplify my real estate investments by investing my money in two places at the same time. And again, very low risk and very, frankly, boring once you figure it out, right? It's not like cryptocurrency or something like that. And speaking of cryptocurrency, I do have my asymmetric risk allocation as well. Um, and I might you know, put aside up to 10% in any given year to do that. Why? Because I like the idea of, you know, something popping that I don't expect and money and using the money that I'm okay losing. That's why I call it my Maserati money because I bought, I still drive my 2007 Toyota and uh, every year I think I should buy a Maserati or Ferrari or something like that. I don't do it because I'd rather take the you know, if you if you drive a, a brand new Ferrari and Maserati off the lot, you're going to end up losing money guaranteed, right? Um, now you're not going to have that happen guaranteed if you invest in, you know, cryptocurrency or anything else that could potentially uh, you could lose a lot, but you could also end up coming out 10x or better. The bottom line is, I would suggest that you do not chase shiny objects. You know, some things sound good, but when you get into the weeds, they are nothing but fool's gold. Boring is good. That's the lesson, right? And again, if you got something to lose, take some chances. I'm not saying not to. You got to have some fun too. I mean, that's what I'm doing with crypto. But all right, the last one I'm going to just do before we move on with this podcast today, it's not what you make, but what you keep. So going back to real estate, I like the fact that real estate tends to appreciate over time rather than depreciate to nothing, Right. Stop buying things that depreciate to nothing. So even though that real estate appreciates in value, historically, it appreciates in value. Uh, nevertheless, in the eyes of the IRS, real estate does depreciate, and we often leverage it significantly with mortgage interest. Um, that's also deductible as a business expense. So if you get 8 to 10% cash on cash, because everybody loves cash on cash, you typically don't pay any taxes on it. In fact, depreciation might exceed your dividend by so much that you could actually use those losses against other passive income. And we see this with bonus depreciation all the time. We do this on you know virtually all the properties that we talk about in Investor Club. So you have to actually factor in the money that you save through an investment as well. Um, conversely, now let's say you invest in, you know, bad debt, you know, some notes or whatever that are non-performing, which I'm not saying is, is the worst thing in the world, but say you're getting 10% cash on cash. Um, you know, you may have to pay ordinary income taxes on that. So how much are you actually keeping? And knowing that is the risk of 
the lack of appreciation of, uh, of you know, the, the fact that these things could just fail, um, you know, that this, the, the fact that this is just fixed debt that's not going to appreciate at all. Uh, are, are you happy with the returns you're getting after taxes? Well, when you actually crunch the numbers, you may realize that you might be better off with a slightly lower return uh, on an asset that you are getting dividends that are tax-free. Anyway, I could keep going in, you know, on and on here, and that's really what we do in Wealth Formula Network is we talk a lot about these things, and over time people learn a ton. If you want to join, again, go to wealthformularoadmap.com. Um, you know, we recently talked about this great deal uh, and uh, that people were talking about. One of the other things I should say is that uh, before I move on, one more pearl. Uh, if the deal's all dependent on one guy or one guy knows everything or one guy has all owns everything um, and it's all dependent on him or her personally, I'd stay away because that's another recipe for disaster. Um, at the end of the day, there are a lot of these little patterns of bad investments that you recognize after you've been around the block a few times, gotten hurt by a few things and have seen others get hurt by things. In fact, I would go as far as to say that the key to becoming a good investor or better investor, at least, is to quickly identify the bad ones so you can spend most of your time diving deeper on the rest. The good news is that most deals out there are not great, so you should be able to spend an increasing amount of time on good ones as you get better at this sort of weeding process. Anyway, um, for what it's worth, uh, that those are the pearls I have for you today, uh, and hopefully they are useful to you. Now, as far as investing in riskier stuff, uh, my guest on the, uh, for this week on Wealth Formula Podcast knows a thing or two about that. We talk about startups. Um, he, in fact, has written a book on that, and it's called Unicornomics, and he is going to talk all about how to pick out unicorns in investing when we come back, uh, Damian Lupo. Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. 
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is uh, well-known to uh, the Wealth Formula Nation. His name is Damian Lupo. He's been on the show before talking about his EQRP model through Total Control Financial. But today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, uh, something that he calls Unicornomics, which is the title of his new book, Coincidentally. Right? Damian, welcome back to the show. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to be back. Good to be back with all your uh, your tribe and your listeners. Yeah, I think the last time uh, we got to hear from you was at the Scottsdale Meetup uh, event. Uh, it was last, uh, how many? It was like three or four months ago. I don't even remember anymore. But um, but by the way, Damien, you're going to be joining us uh, in the next event, which I think we have penciled down for Dallas. It uh, It's not penciled. It's real. But I'm trying to think, what was it, September 27th and 28th? And you're going to be speaking there, too, with a number of other interesting folks. Uh, Damien's a good speaker, and he tends to give away money. So make sure to make that uh, make that talk. Yeah, that's yeah. basically just show up for the freebies. <laughs> going away just with a fire hose of, of new ideas, and you're probably going to take – it's going to take you a month to recover from it, which is what happened last time. Exactly. So, okay, let's let's get to the book though, because uh, I know you've ri- you know you've written this book. I don't know if it's actually printed yet, but I have a a final copy. It's called Unicornomics. So, broadly speaking, what is a unicorn, and uh, what was the inspiration behind writing this book? So, a unicorn is this idea, this term that was that was given to these tech companies when they they would somebody would come up with an idea, and then two years later they'd go public and there'd be a billion dollar valuation. It was basically just identifying a company that had hit that billion dollar valuation, whether it was public or private. And it's this dream that people have. They go to Silicon Valley or Silicon Prairie or wherever they're going with the tech companies. And they're basically saying, I want to be part of one of these unicorns in the making so that I can cash out and become filthy rich. And so unicorn has become synonymous with the, the rocket type of companies, the ones that are doing really well. And sometimes they do well, sometimes they don't. But it's it's about taking something from basically just stardust into uh, that billion dollar valuation and what it takes to get there. And it's it's a formula, kind of like the wealth formula. There's a unicorn formula, and it's it's something that's pretty predictable. Most people, uh, if either you're thinking you want to have a billion dollar company or you're investing in a company that's going to be worth a lot of money, there's still a formula. It's the same basic formula, and if you miss the formula it's pretty unlikely the thing is going to work. So if we're talking about our investor brain, which is what most of us are thinking about right now, probably listening to this, there's a formula on what you, and how you want to approach the people you're investing with and the projects you're investing in. And if you get that formula right, you've got an 85% likelihood of that thing actually working, assuming it's a good market idea. All right. So tell me, tell me what was the inspiration behind the book? Have you, been, have you been involved with unicorns in the past? Have you seen unicorns in the wild? I, I have. Uh, I, I've, I've involved with unicorns. I've ridden a unicorn, maybe mystically. Uh, but mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've started 50 plus companies over the last 25 years. And yeah. having been a part of different levels of companies um, from startups that flopped within a matter of months to ones that went on to be sold for many, many millions, there is a formula around this stuff. And I mean, in full disclosure, I have never started a billion dollar company. It's a very similar formula, whether it's Facebook or, or Peter Thiel or whatever, or something that's a 10 or 20 or $50 million company, like an apartment complex that's being purchased as a business and people get to invest in it. 
So the idea was I looked at all these things and I said, okay, there's something that I'm doing wrong, all the ones that failed, and there are things that are done right. And so this is my experience, and it's also a lot of studies, so it's not just an academic thing. This is many, many tens of millions of dollars of my own money that I've spent learning what this is instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I read a good book. Let me just rehash that book. So spent meaning lost. Is that right? That's the uh, the other term for my, <laughs> my understanding is what it is, right? No, I, I totally get that uh, as a, a a fellow entrepreneur. That's basically what it is, right? And when you have failures in companies all the time, you um, you know it's it's like a very very expensive education. But uh, for us uh, entrepreneurs who um, uh, you know kind of get into this space where we have to have it all the time. Um, you know, we, we have to chalk it up to something to make us feel better. It certainly is education. So we just say, okay, I've spent this money on education and uh, here you go. Right. So, um, let's talk, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you've found with your research here. What are the, in, in understanding that, you know, this, this is not a show necessarily where we have a bunch of, um, entrepreneurs, uh, you and I are entrepreneurs, but most people who listen to Wealth Formula podcast are making, you know, high six figures, even seven and seven figures per year. And they may be the people who are looking for the unicorns as investors. So with that uh, in mind, let's apply some of the concepts. Let's talk about some of the concepts you have as an investor looking at uh, potential unicorns to invest in. Well, some of the concepts, I mean, really when we're looking at the investments we're, we're going to put money into, we, we want to focus first and foremost on the people that are running the deal. And are these people that just have an idea and they're, they're saying, hey, give me some money and I'm going to see if this thing will work? Or do you actually have pros? I call them centaurs versus leeches because one of them, a centaur is like the one in a hundred that is that key person who's out there and dominates. If you've ever seen the movie 300, those are all like, those are centaurs. Those are people that knew how to dominate and, and win. And so you're looking for those type of people. The other ones are leeches and they're just basically trying to suck your cash for themselves and maybe seeing if something works because they're just playing a you know, roulette. So it's, it's starting with that, the people. And so the question is, do they have the execution intelligence? Have they actually done this? Or is this something that they, they went to a seminar, read a book and decided to go, hey, I'm going to go try this thing. I'm going to make an investment and see if anybody wants to give me their money. So you want to see the track record and you want to filter these people. This is the first 15%. So when you're looking at a business that you're going to invest in, you're looking at that first 15%. It's the beginning stages of the business or the investment. Has it been mapped out? Is there a blueprint? Do they have the proper cap stack? And that's the capital stack, the debt and the equity mix. Like, has this all been put together or is somebody just coming up with an idea and hoping you'll give them enough money to keep their, their lights on while they're figuring it out? You don't want to invest in people that are figuring something out or you're going to have an experience called a, um, an investment loss. We just talked about this. So yeah. it's, it's having the, that first 15%. And here's one of the ways to figure it out. Do, is that business or is that investment able to be put on a bumper sticker? I mean, if you've got somebody that's got 52 different things and channels and different avatars, like, or if you're investing in an apartment and you know exactly who the avatar is and they say it's this person, they work within three miles of this particular location, they make this much money and they're crystal clear, you can put that on a bumper sticker. If they can't tell you that, run from the investment. I mean, it's got to be on a bumper sticker or you're dead in the water because they have no idea what they're doing. It's a long bumper sticker. It's, but, it, um, it could, yeah, the whole bumper maybe, but not the whole car. Right. Um, so what else? Okay, people. We've definitely, we've talked about people. We've talked about, you know, the, the concept of, you know, trying to 
find something that is uh, clear in terms of its, um, uh, you know, why it's a good investment? What what other things make up that, um, you know, that the formula? Well, part, you got to be crystal clear on this exit. And when we look at investments, we often talk about things that are we're going to get into, we're going to change them, we're going to improve them, and then there's going to be a five-year exit. I always like to have multiple exits. So like in, in terms of apartments, I like the idea of being able to look at an exit where it's sold and also does the thing work long-term if we hold it. That way you're not stuck when markets change. So I like being crystal clear about that. If you're not, if you go, this is a great deal. I hear this a lot, Buck. People say, oh, I got a great deal. And I go, cool, what is it? They're like, oh man, it's just like the, the most amazing apartment. I go beyond that and they go, well, no, it's in, you know, it's in Timbuktu. That's a good place to invest. Like, yeah, but you, you don't, you're not clear on how you're going through this process. And so the exit, even if you're not going to exit, understanding how you would exit and knowing how to structure it and meaning, does the person that brought you the deal, do they have it crystal clear in their mind how this thing would exit and how you'd get your money back? Because returning, return on your money is one thing. Returning of your money is more important. And that's our friend Robert Kiyosaki would say this. He's like, great, nice investment. When am I getting my money back? Not yeah. just the return on it, but when do I get it back? I want the infinite return as, as often as possible. And so that's, that's what we're looking for, that exit, that crystal clear exit. Not foggy, but like no, no smoke, no screen. Yeah. It's got to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for example, when we do these things with Western Wealth Capital and Investor Club, I mean, that's that's the idea, right, is the focus, the entire focus is, all right, boom, um, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to get our money back in, in this amount of time because of a certain amount of uh, elements that we know we can plug in these variables and know we're going to increase net operating income by a certain amount. And we know this because of all the evidence around us, et cetera. So there's a clear map of, of why something's going to work and what the goal is, or if there are multiple exits, um, uh, what are those, what's sort of a plan B, et cetera. Right. Yeah. And, and one of the things, the differentiators, whether it's a business you're starting or your investment that you're looking at, is the assurance of reality and the assurance of the data. So when somebody says, this is what's going to happen, the question is, is it, is it like your mom assuring you that everything's going to be okay? Or is it the actual market that's giving you that? And is the person that's saying, here's a good deal, can they show you how it's a good deal and prove it based on something that's, that you can get your arms around? It's like your mom is always going to tell you, hey, this is a great idea, but that doesn't mean the market's going to like it. And so you need to have something that, that something that's that's concrete that's not just somebody's opinion but reality i know your deals you've got reality backing those deals every single time and so when people look at them you can say look here's all the stuff in the market that's happening that has happened here's the team that's executed that's so much more important and so much more valuable than just somebody that you happen to like telling you this is a great deal and you go great i'm going to do it well what how, how do you know and so you've got to prove it you got to make sure the deal can be proved it has to be especially important in the type of businesses you're talking about, because when you're really talking about unicorns, for the most part, you're talking about startup businesses, right? And so this is, you know, generally going to be limited, presumably, to the part of your portfolio that you are looking for asymmetric risk. Is that fair? I mean, because, listen, real estate deal, um, a real estate opportunity, if you're cash flowing or, you know, you've got equity day one and, and you've you're doing it well, you know what you're doing. There's a little bit more fudge factor. I hate to use that technical term, but when you're talking about, you know, when you're talking about something creating enterprise out of nothing, it's a completely different level of risk. 
It's totally different. And in your case, that's why investing is, it's very, a lot of times people make money as an entrepreneur or in their job, and then they go to invest and they absolutely lose it because there's a different way of looking at things. It should be fairly boring when you invest. Right. When you're doing entrepreneurial stuff, there's a lot of juice and people, you know, make money, lose money. That's very exciting. But investing in an apartment should be one of the most boring things that you ever do. And it's very predictable. And so if you're getting excitement about your thing because it's you're investing in some foreign location or you're doing like, give me a break. Go to the most boring place ever with numbers that just work every time. Yeah, honestly, I think that's, you know, that is a lesson that I've learned over the years too that, and we've talked about that in the show is boring is good, right? But now let's focus though, because from the, from what we're talking about with unicorns, I've used this idea of, you know, part of your portfolio being involved with, um, uh, something that could explode, you know, giving yourself a chance, maybe a 5% or 10% allocation. For me, it happens to be, you know, some various uh, digital currency, cryptocurrency type stuff um, that, you know, if it goes to, you know, if it goes to zero, which it's not going to, uh, in my opinion, you know, it's not going to kill me. But if it explodes, it's going to be a very, very good year, right? And so when you talk about unicorns, I presume you're talking about, you know, those types of asymmetric risk plays that you're taking, you know, taking a shot down the field, you know, and trying to win the game with one at bat, so to speak, right? It is. And these, these are the things where you're investing, especially with, with businesses versus something like real estate. If you're investing in these things, this is not something you're putting 50 or 80% of your money in because mm-hmm. that 5 or 10% you put in, you, it's not going to change your world if it goes away. And a lot of these go away. I mean, when I talked about the 50 companies that I've, I've invested in, built it, started, they're, you know, 80 plus percent of those things didn't do anything. I mean, they, they taught me a lot, but they didn't, they didn't go to the moon. They went off a cliff. And so that's, that's part of this process. And if I had gone all in on every one of those things, I did in the beginning, but that's, you don't do that. You don't invest in something. There, a lot of times though, businesses don't necessarily have to be the crazy earth shattering idea to, for you to invest and it to turn into something that's worth many tens or hundreds or you know, hundreds of millions of dollars it can be something where somebody just goes, I have a better idea to make something just better, you know, and, and we're going to change things. And it's, it's a sandwich. It's a popsicle. I mean, it doesn't have to be crazy technology. And I think that's what people miss. They go, well, I can't make a ton. I can't make more than 5% unless it's super risky. I fundamentally disagree. I think you just have to look at the first 15%. And then whether it's crypto or something else, I see, I like with, with unicorns, you have a lot of control with something like crypto you can learn by being in it, but you and I have no control. So yeah. there is a different element of control. Well, you're talking about starting them when you have your own business. Right. You, right. And when you're, here's the other thing too. And I, I learned this, I think I, I learned this from Tim Ferriss. When you're investing in startups, part of the reason you're investing in those is insider information. It's you being connected to people where you have access. And so if you're investing 50 or $100,000 into somebody's thing, it's being close and on the inside of this stuff, whereas you're going to totally be an outsider if you don't put money in. So you can put the money in for different reasons, not just the thing going vertical, but because you're going to be, you're going to access info you'd never see elsewhere. What's the, so I'm just looking over some of the, the, the notes on this. What is, uh, what is the China 1% idiot statement? So there's a lot of times we hear in the, in the unicorn world or people that are doing startups, they talk about how 
if they can just get 1% of the Chinese population to do this certain thing, to buy this app, to do whatever, they go 1% is X number of people. They say, okay, if it's 1% of a billion, then we've got, what, 10 million? And, and so you take that and you say, well, that average person is going to spend $10 a year. And if we take that, then we've got 100 million. And if, if, that, if the company's worth 10 times revenue, we've got a billion dollar valuation. So they use these ridiculous stats and multipliers to value a company based on smoke and the stupid 1% statement. And a lot of times, I mean, I actually hear this from people that are fairly smart and it's one of the dumbest things that can come out of somebody's mouth. When you talk, um, your book, you say basically that if you follow these steps, um, you can identify 85% of those companies that would be successful and become unicorns. Is that accurate? Yeah, here's what, here's what the, the numbers mean, that if you get the first 15% right, which is basically this, the pieces and the, the puzzle pieces inside this book, that's the beginning, that's the framework, and that's the entire game plan. If that's in place, then, this, then the idea the company has an 85% likelihood of success, assuming the market actually wants this thing. Mm. And so it doesn't mean there's a 100% guarantee. What it means is that if you don't get that first 15%, for example, if you have the wrong legal documents, then it doesn't matter how good the market is. I mean, ask Bob Parsons, the guy that founded GoDaddy. It, the, the rumor in the tech community was that he spent five extra years before he sold the company because his origination, his documents for filing were wrong and he had to redo things. So that's, I mean, it's a perfect example of not getting the framework right because you're, you're being cheap. You're not getting the right team members around. And so that's, that's what this is. It's, it's at high likelihood of success, assuming that you have this stuff in place in the beginning. Yeah. So that's basically, you know, that's almost like saying it, you know, if you have, uh, you have, uh, you know, approximately, well, where do you get the numbers? Okay. So let me ask you that. Cause we're talking about 85, we're talking about 15%. Where are you getting all these numbers for this stuff? A lot, a lot of this was based on the work that Buckminster Fuller did. Um, so, you know, the studying things that in his work, which is really hard to actually understand it's just, it's understanding that that first 15%, there's, there's a lot of work that um, like Robert Kiyosaki and some of these other folks that we, you and I know have done um, over the years. And it was based on Bucky's thoughts and ideas. So that, that was the original premise, those numbers. And then in practical application, that's what I've seen personally with all the companies I've done. It's just, those numbers make sense to me. And I, in, I'm certainly, there's, there's going to be different people's opinions of those numbers that, that's my reality of seeing enough. It's not one or two. It's actually you know, dozens of companies I've been in. And I can tell you, if you look at companies that have fallen apart, there's usually pieces of this, of unicornomics that are not in there that they missed. And that's yeah. pretty obvious. Have you invested in a unicorn yet? I, I've invested in things I thought were going to be unicorns. <laughs> we're, uh, they, they pretend unicorns. It was like a, something with a unicorn outfit on. That's I think right. kind of wants those, but. So. You know, there's no guarantee with a unicorn. The, the truth is, though, you always want to have something that has that potential if you're investing in it or if it was enough of those things, even an apartment. If you do the right thing, your, your wealth is going to systematically grow because you're investing in things that have the framework correct. And that's, that's what you're really getting at is, is the framework in place. And you know, do, you have, do, do you have the right people in the right framework? And if you can get those two things right, you have a really high likelihood of overall winning, even when some of your stuff is a learning versus a winning opportunity. So, um, you know, people might be wondering, people may, you know, are curious about investing in these uh, potential unicorns. I mean, 
where do you even go to find, you know, unicorns to potentially invest in? Like, how do you, um, you know, presumably you, you know, you have, have done this, you've, you've invested in some things. Are these um, by invitation only, you know, pre-IPO type things or, or what are you kind of, how do you find them? This, I mean, this is most of these, most of these spaces are family and friends that you're never going to hear about, which is why you want to ultimately be an insider to something, to somebody somewhere. If, if somebody's doing something, uh, a lot, a lot of times there's EO type of organizations where there's a lot of people with smaller businesses. Sometimes they end up on Shark Tank. If you're a part of any of these things, you start hearing about stuff and it's, it's a matter of just getting access to something somewhere. There's got to be a gateway. It's, it's something where you're not going to just stumble into it, but really it's going there. It's going to, that's where I found a lot of the places where I looked at investing and invested some money was through EO, which is entrepreneurs organization. There are people that are constantly doing things. They're the doers. And it's, it's people that have at least a million dollars in revenue in their businesses and they go up to a hundred plus million. So these are the type of people that are on their way to becoming a unicorn. And it's a vetted filtered group and environment. Once you're inside that, you become an insider. And so if, Otherwise, you're going to be an outsider buying retail. If you're going to go and, and buy some shares of Uber or Lyft, you're way late. I mean, you needed to be part of Sequoia or one of these other groups that got in way, way, way earlier before they were worth $30 billion. And the only way you do that is by insider information at a, at a very localized level. And that's, I mean, I think EO is one of the greatest places, whether you're in EO or you know people that are part of EO, it's starting to connect and this is probably not something you do behind a computer screen. This is all about face-to-face. -face. Right. And also, obviously, there's, you know, we've had, um, we've had, a, we had a guest about like over a year ago who uh, wrote a book about, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a book about angel investing. And um, he's uh, well-known in that space. And, you know, if you look, if you go to like meetups or whatever, you Google your area, you know, Los Angeles or you know, Dallas or wherever you are and you put angel investor group, a lot of times you'll find some large investor, angel investor groups, which is basically doing the same thing, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I think you're probably talking about identifying things even before they get to that funding level. It's, but, it's way earlier. It's, and it's being a part of that stuff. And one of the things too is, is being conscious to what you're investing in and making, I, I suggest people invest in things that they have some semblance, semblance of understanding around. Like, right probably look at things in the medical arena and have a way better idea than me or other people that don't have the medical background because I mean, maybe I'm assuming, I don't know. I mean, you have this background that most of us don't. A lot of times I see, I see medical professionals, doctors, and they go out and they invest in high tech stuff and they have no clue what they're looking at. What they're doing is they're buying a magic story and that's it's, you're doing something that you don't really understand because you want the juice. And so that's one of the questions. Is this the juice or do you actually get what you're investing? Yeah. Well, you know, actually I will tell you, I'll, I'll take it a different step with doctors. What I've seen uh, notoriously amongst doctors and, you know, healthcare professionals in general is that they'll, they'll think that they have an edge and then they'll put a bunch of money in some new, you know, some sort of a, a device company or something like that which is incredibly stupid because most of these things don't don't work. But because in this sort of niche world, they understand that this might have some value and they say, I kind of like that, whatever, they end up dumping a bunch of money in uh, and then and then they get burned too. So 
So it, it cuts both. Sometimes there's this whole saying, you know, a little bit of knowledge is dangerous as well. So if you're not looking at things from all of these business uh, fundamentals, it's not ideal either. Um, to, to that point, one of the most important things you alluded to this in the beginning, when you're talking about throwing money into something, investing in something that has potential to be a rocket, but you're not going to die if you get crushed. Right. In terms of, I've, I've seen the same thing with a lot of doctors. They invest in devices and things that seem like they're world shattering or earth shattering. The, the problem is they don't understand position sizing and they don't understand that you don't ever put more than a certain amount. Maybe it's five or 10% of your money into something. They go way too all in on something. So they think, oh, this is for sure. Nothing's for sure. And the position sizing is more important than the thing. Van Tharp, who is an excellent guy to study in terms of trading and investing psychology, talks about position sizing and your risk and how much of your whatever, your nest egg, you're going to put into any one thing. And your, your risk tolerance is around how much you can lose and what that impact is going to be to your portfolio. That's 80 plus percent of your, your strategy and whether you're going to win. The actual thing you invest in is like 5 to 15%. It's such a small number, but most people look at the system or the device or the thing, and they think that's what it is. It's not. It's the actual position sizing that's more important. Um, before we get going, I want to talk about something that you do that you're known for that is incredibly boring, but stable and, uh, and smart. It's the EQRP. Um, obviously I, you know, I talk about this, um, you know, and I promote you and your product because I think it's a wonderful idea for real estate investors. Can we just hear it from, uh, from you sort of a summary again of what an EQRP is, why it's different and why particularly people who are investing in things that, uh, uh, such as real estate where there is leverage involved may want to consider yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a huge thing. A couple of things with the EQRP, this basically allows that $25 trillion of retirement money that's floating around out there. It's the biggest pool of cash. It allows people to use their retirement money for things like real estate or startups or almost anything you can imagine. And it, you can use them, you can invest in these things and use leverage. So in these real estate deals that, that we do, there's a lot of leverage involved. And the problem people have is they've been investing a lot of IRA money, self-directed IRA money, in these type of deals with, with debt. And when they do that, they get hit with UBIT tax. So that's a big problem because it's like 37% tax. Okay, so explain what that is. Cause that, uh, so just so people know what UBIT is and what UDFI and what, what these things are. UBIT is unrelated business income tax. It's this tax that the IRS uses to level the playing field when you have tax shelters like trusts and retirement accounts. And they say, okay, well, if you're going to do certain things, we're going to tax you. So if an IRA does certain things like buys real estate and there's leverage in it, it says, ah, that's not quite fair to somebody else that's using a non-retirement account. So we're going to trip this thing. The UDFI is what gets tripped. It's unrelated debt financed income. So you're basically, your IRA is making income from debt and they say, all right, well, that's going to trigger this unrelated business income tax. That's the 37%. So that's terrible, especially when it's a surprise after you're, you know, you have a syndication or you've invested and it cashes out and it, you get a $50,000 tax bill inside an IRA. It's a bad day. The, the EQRP is freaking amazing because once you convert an IRA over into an EQRP, you're exempt from that tax. It's gone. And it's a, it's a, it's a unicorn situation. We don't know why exactly, but uh, it's, it doesn't, it's exempt from that tax. I think it's 
the guess is because IRAs have $2 trillion more in them than 401ks. And so the IRS has just made this an exemption. So basically what that means is that you've got the ability to invest in all these really cool things that are non-Wall Street, and you're not going to be hit with the tax when they're leveraged. And that's the beautiful thing about real estate, the leverage opportunity. It's why, it's why all the juice is there. So let me ask you this. If you're somebody who doesn't have uh, like a, you know, uh, a retirement account. Now I'm, I'm one of those people, right? I use banking. I use Wealth Formula Banking for that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people who do already have um, IRAs or uh, 401ks, et cetera. But say you wanted to, you know, one year you got a, a big, uh, you got a big bump, right? And uh, would one option, because you can, the, the maximum was what, $75,000 per person or something like that uh, per year? Individuals under age 50 is 56,000 a year. Oh, so it's 56. So you want to put a hundred or, you know, between you and your spouse, maybe put $112,000 away and you think, well, gosh, maybe I'll do that for a year, but I want to keep doing this. Could you just do it one year? You can do it just one year. There's, there's no requirement. It's very flexible. And it's yeah. one of the benefits that Tom Wheelwright and I have talked about is there's this new thing in the tax code after the tax reform act where you're, you get a 20% deduction or reduction in your, your taxable income uh, if you have an LLC and you're under a certain amount, like 150,000. So right. here's why the re retirement account could be valuable. If you, let's say you made $190,000, you go, oh crap, I'm over that, I'm gonna lose that thing. Well, guess what? If you, if you contribute 40, $50,000 into your EQRP, you're gonna be below that basis and now you're gonna get the 20% reduction. And so that's a huge value that reduces your tax bill, not only from the contribution, but from its bottom line, you're going to have a lower AGI, after adjusted gross income, after you get that 20% deduction that you wouldn't have qualified for if you didn't use some type of vehicle to get your income down. Right, right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously, a, I think, a really interesting tool. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that um, people should definitely look into if they're in currently in IRAs. Because the other thing that I think you mentioned before is some people say, well, I'm already invested. I have a bunch of stuff invested in an IRA. Um, through an IRA, you can actually you can actually assign those to a QRP later, right? I mean, you don't have to just say, well, that's that's that. I'm in an IRA already. Yeah, if you got if your IRA has invested in assets and you go, I'm stuck. You're not stuck. We can move we can move your assets from the IRA into a qualified plan into an EQRP, and that's that's a huge thing because you don't actually have to sell anything. You can just move. It's called an in kind rollover. And then the the next question that comes up, people say, Well, I'm a W two or I've got this job or I'm not qualified. The reality is, just about anybody can become qualified. It's you have to have a business, and a business means something. You could have a lemonade stand. You can be you could do consulting. There's a million things that could be done. And the EQRP works if people have employees. That's, I mean, it works for just about anybody. So if you, if this is something that's interesting, don't think that you're not qualified or that you're stuck just because maybe you've Googled it or somebody has said that this really can be something that anybody can, can tackle and use. Um, we always have a commercial anyway, but tell us where we can uh, learn more about that and get a hold of you. Uh, best place to get to find information about the QRP is, uh, the qrpbook.com. And if you go there, you'll get a copy of the book and I'll, I'll literally mail it out to you and you'll have it and you can learn about it. Fantastic, man. Well, it was good having you again as always. And uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you before the Dallas event, but uh, if not, uh, we will, I'll see you there in person. Sounds, Sounds good. good. Thanks, Thanks for having me, man. man. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that. Damien is always uh, fun to have on the show. Very smart guy, serial entrepreneur himself. By the way, if you've not checked out that whole QRP thing, I would suggest you do so. I'm not a guy who has retirement funds myself. I use Wealth Formula Banking for those kinds of things. Um, but what I would suggest to you is that if you do have an IRA or 401k or whatever you do, uh, if you're trying to figure out how to optimize your uh, your funds, your retirement funds, so that you can invest in real estate or any other real assets outside of the equity markets, and you don't want to pay UBIT, UDFI, all this other kind of tax, then check out the whole QRP thing. We always put commercials on the show, too, just because I think it's such a valuable thing for our investors. Anyway, check that out. Also, I uh, want to remind you uh, that I think there is a good fit for a number of you in this whole wealth formula network thing. Uh, you know, I keep talking to people who are interested in sort of, you know, getting closer to the community, et cetera. Check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. And if you want to come out live and meet us, make sure to come out September 27th and 28th. Uh, that's at wealthformulaevents.com. It's our meetup in Dallas, Texas. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing out. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com.